Audi. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Robert Munns, co-founder and CEO of sailing charity Oceans of Hope, left the graft and glamour of West End theatre for a life on the seas. He'd not long had a shock diagnosis of multiple sclerosis when a chance encounter in a harbour changed the course of his future. Rob and I talk about West End Theatre's transformation, working with Madonna, happy days sailing the med, the raw shock of his diagnosis, the physical and emotional enormity of sailing across the Pacific, committing to life again, watching other MS sufferers transform with sailing, and how making conscious decisions, along with the more floaty subconscious ones, can help us through even the most challenging of times. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The thing is, because it's a big travel podcast, you automatically go, where have I been? What interesting stories have I got? What beautiful places I've been to? And I've done absolutely shit loads. And, and I'm kind of hoping that you would lead me down that, I will, I'll that garden you. path of hopefulness and beauty. Well, I feel like you've been leading yourself down a garden path of hopefulness and beauty from what I've gleaned from your life experience so far. I'm recording already. You oh get gosh. a little bit closer to okay. you. Okay, radio. <laughs> will it p- pick up my slurps from my cappuccino? Uh, yeah, it will do. Yeah, I normally cut those out. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a nice cappuccino, though. Thank you for bringing me one as well. It's um, biscotti. I'm not going to do a trip advisor, though, who I bought it from. You said, actually, something that I didn't know about. You said something when you arrived with cappuccinos and biscotti. You said <clears> something about being part Italian. Are you part Italian? No, I'm an Italian, a file, if that's right. the right word. I, I love right love anything that's Italian. They are just so cool. And <laughs> just from when I first went to Italy on the boat, which I'll, I'll talk about at some point, I just fell in love with the place. And you, I fell in love with the culture, the people, just outrageous in their way of expressing themselves and and being there in the moment. There's so much there in the moment, if you know what I mean. And cars, the boats, the culture, the food, the, the coastline, the mountains. 
I've got a Fiat 500. Anything I, I've got that's worthy is, is, is Italian, really. That's why I'm an Italian if I... What colour <laughs> is the Fiat 500? That's the burning question. White. Is it? Has it got a little stripe or anything on it? On the keypad it has. It's got my little... Eh, stripey keypad. Key fob, sorry. <laughs> but that's it. And it's have a, you it's, learnt the language? Yes. I, I, when I first went there, I really launched myself into it. And I had loads of lessons before I went. And I learnt the basics. But then I also wanted to know... I'll tell you why I wanted to know this 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 statement, which was "My boss will kill me," <laughs> because when you when when you're on a boat, um, you have to go into marinas and stuff like that. And usually, when you arrive in a marina, you've reserved a berth, or you've not reserved a berth because the people on board haven't decided where they want to go or whatever. So I would always go in cold and just go turn up and go, "Do you have a berth?" and they would go, no, usually. <laughs> so I said, yeah, but my boss will kill me. And you're literally on the front of your boat, on the bow of your boat, looking down onto the pontoon, because it was quite a tall boat, looking down onto the pontoon to this poor guy. Okay, my boss will kill you, using the appropriate Italian hand signals. Hang on, we'll, we'll kill you or kill me? Will like, kill me? You, yeah, yeah, not him. It, il mio <laughs> because we're like in Italy or in Sicily, yeah. you know, oh, my boss will kill you. Here. My boss will kill you. No, uh, <laughs> il, il mio capo mi uccide. My boss will kill me. Did I say kill you earlier? Yeah, you did. Oh, sorry. You said, well, you said both. You slipped from one to the other. <laughs> I think there's a dark side of you coming out, Rob, that I thought we'd leave to the end of this podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my boss will kill me. And you see the guy or girl's face change. And they go, okay, come on round here. We've got a spare berth. There's always a spare berth in the marina. So any of you that are wanting to do boating in the Mediterranean, there's always a spare berth in a marina. That's my phone. I'm so unprofessional. Let me switch it on silent. That's okay. But you have been that man, haven't you? You, In Brighton Marina, you are that person. Yeah. One of your roles is that person that people are begging to to, to stay in your berth. (laughs) Brighton Marina is a wonderful, wonderful place for anybody that wants to come sailing to Britain or sailing in the UK. It's Britain's biggest marina and there's always space for visitors. There's always space for visitors. We don't have to threaten to kill you. (laughs) No, (laughs) but I can do it in Dutch or whatever. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, it's a great place to work. Um, Great boss, great company to work for, Premier Marinas, and great group of people there who are my kind of adopted family. We're all odd in our own ways. No offence, guys. Um, but we get on like a house on fire. There's everybody from 20 to 70 that works there. And it's a great place to work. But I prefer to be on the other side of the... The sailing side. Yes. I prefer to be arriving in a marina rather than catching somebody else's lines. Yeah. Because they're the lucky ones. They're the lucky ones that have done the journey. They're the lucky ones that have they've, they've navigated to get here. And uh, I think it's... It's an amazing place to be and as much as I love working in the marina and I love welcoming visitors in whatever pidgin language I've got, I find it really interesting to know where they've been yeah. and where they're going. And sort of, I love the thing about travel, the arriving somewhere and the, the going somewhere as well. I, th- I find that so, so much more exciting than not being, I mean, being anywhere new is, is amazing finding the, the soul of the place that, that 
its place how it exists and how it works a city or a town or a village but I do love the anticipation of arriving and then the planning to go for the next journey I, I, they're both equally good I know but doing it on a boat which is what I do I've done for years not very well <laughs> uh, and in my own way I do have my own particular style um, but um how did your journey start? With sailing? Uh, no, with everything, really. So uh, let's go back to, uh, to zero. So I know you were in, in theatre first, but when, as a child, did you travel? Where did you grow up? I travelled uh, not a lot. I, I was born in Northampton, oh, middle of the country. Beautiful place. The town of shoes and boots. Um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, and we... Boots are good for walking out of there, aren't they, though? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, um, Sorry, people of Northampton. Yeah, no offence, you're all cobblers. <laughs> That's an in-joke for the football team. Right, you didn't know. Yeah. Um, we used to go sailing on the Norfolk Broads. My brother was the one that started sailing, and he was at middle school and he had sailing lessons. And my dad, in his infinite wisdom, hello dad, said, right, let's go sailing. So I was like six or seven, my brother was 10 or 11, we went sailing on the Norfolk Broads, and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I hated it. He was completely out of control, didn't know what he was doing, didn't know anything about left and right, where the wind was coming from, and we got into so many scrapes that it's just embarrassing. But I, I do um, acknowledge and I'm very thankful for the flat. For the flat. <laughs> I do acknowledge and I'm very thankful for that experience because I wouldn't be the floaty thing that I am now without those early on holidays. How did you become the floaty thing? I don't know. Um, well, theatre is kind of floaty, isn't it? So you, you went to I, college with our mutual lovely friend, Kate Turnbull. Hello, hello Kate. Hello, she's Kate. definitely going to listen to this. She We're will. She better be. <laughs> We're going to force her to listen Feedback to this. Feedback form available online. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I um, it was two things I was good at when I was at school, which was floaty things and um, reading plays from books and the English teacher who was hugely influential um, really liked found it funny that what I was doing and yes it was comedy okay. uh, not tragedy <laughs> which to be honest is pathos is brilliant anyway um, but I then went six I went six form I did regular things and blah 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 and then at 23, 21, 22, I decided that I was in the building industry. Just part of me was not being satisfied. Yes, I was earning money. And wow, I had a company car and all that. But I decided to take up Amdram, which is so embarrassing now when you see Amdrams. And it was like that. The Molten Players, which is in north of Northampton. And I did two plays with them. And they all thought I was good. So... And I wanted to learn more, so I applied to go to university to do something to do with theatre, reading theatre somewhere. I had no idea. And then I did this random course in London for a long weekend. I can't remember what it was called, but there was lots of poets, lots of really arty people. And, me. and you're a builder from Northampton. 
<laughs> no, that makes me out to be so butch. Yeah, you're not really butch. And bricklaying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Oh, I'm right. I went all Kenneth the, Williams then. There's just far more you that I see you now than yeah. bricklaying. But yeah. anyway. Um, and uh, this weekend we had to prepare stuff, a speech or two or whatever. And at the end of it, they were all saying, you should apply to drama school. So I did. And like you, I, I'm very easily influenced. And I just, yeah. okay. <laughs> I, I could, I've worked well. hard and, and I earned enough money to pay for it. So I went and did it. And it was like, pretty much, fuck it. And I, maybe this is more relevant later on in our conversation, but that was a conscious decision that I made. And at other points in my life, I've never really done that. Mm. And especially recently, which, I don't know, whatever, we'll get into later, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. Um, remember, conscious decision. Mm. Um, and so I went and spent three years at a place called Rose Bruford, which is in Deptford and Sidcup. And just had fun. Um, not outrageous amounts of fun, but for me it was Damn. manageable. No, no. <laughs> so I was naughty. Plenty naughty. Um, and then I kind of graduated with some very lovely memories and some apparently useful skills, which didn't really use. But I spent two years acting in, on the fringe in London, worrying where I was going to pay for my travel card and stuff like that. And I did a show in Birmingham. We have a coffee, some coffee, some coffee, coffee set. Coffee break. And then I... Um, and sorry, in our third year, I was with a friend called Kate, who we've mentioned before, and she was going to work for this producer, stroke marketer called Adam Kenwright, who was a young, exciting, ambitious guy who really wanted to take on the world. And records prove that he has. Mm. I think he's fantastic and always has been. And there was him, Kate couple of other people and myself in this tiny office in Good Street. I know it well. And we just these this was ninety eight, ninety nine, so you could do anything you wanted. Mm. It was easy. You could just go and grab what you wanted, whatever work you wanted and whatever. And Kate and I lived together at the time and um I would then disappear to do a show and come back six months later and there were ten people and this this little company was growing uh, uh, very very rapidly and I was very fortunate to be able to dip back into it and still be a valuable member and before we knew it I was then doing some telemarketing for the Ambassador Theatre Group in the Duke of York's Theatre for a show called Bouncers and um, with with a um, what do you call it? A panto dame called Willie from Scotland. <laughs> and at the end of the first week, I said, "These guys need somebody like me." I, I, I made a bet with him, but by the end of the next week, they'd offer me a job, okay. and they did, which is really indicative of of what I just said about you could just get what you, you like. Do anything, yeah. And different time to now, isn't it? When you just can't get anything, it appears. Yeah. I see the interviews that people have to go through to get a, a seasonal job. It's so difficult to get a... You know, you have to answer certain questions a certain way. You, there's, there's not as, as much uh, opportunity to show your personality and to show how mm. great you could be, genuinely. 
as opposed to I think I'd be really good at this job. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, to actually show it. Um, and um, so I was then the group sales manager for the Ambassador Theatre Group, 11 West End theatres. Joe Schmo, who didn't have any experience, Amazing. came in and went, right, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And I remember my... <laughs> We went through a very, peri- very, very busy period when we had um, a show called Up for Grabs on sale, which was Madonna when she came into Wyndham's Theatre and did a show for, I think it was six weeks, and the the box office figures were amazing before internet sales. And my, literally, my report to the whole group was, yeah, we're absolutely bonkers. <laughs> no figures, no backup, no, no forecast, just... We're going bonkers. Um, can I go now? Because we've got to go and answer the phones. <laughs> and I got away with it. And I got involved with some amazing people just because I was... Had balls, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Believe in yourself. Or don't even... Don't overthink it. Just go don't for even, it. Yeah, yeah. Don't even consciously think about where you are. Just live... I was... Honestly, I was live all mm-hmm. the time. I was on live. I was in the moment every single second of every single day did you meet Madonna? yes what was she like? very tiny yeah she tiny was. she was quite polite but she was going into rehearsals and I, I <laughs> there's a story I hope you don't mind no good I like a story I uh, like a story so it was the press night I realise we're not doing any travel but London like, I know come, no but we are like, visit, re- London. visit London visit London but people come from all over the world to see our West End shows yeah you know so we are doing travel so I'm contradicting myself now absolutely hashtag, tell us the story hashtag visit London hashtag look I can't even say it let alone do it um, um, so tell us the story about Madonna so I can't I can't remember what year it was I'm going to go 2001 no late 2000 early 2001 I think uh, Wyndham's Theatre I had another press night to go to at the Duke of York's, which is over the road from where the press night for Up Grabs was, which was at the um, um, St. Martin's Lane Hotel, which I don't know if you've been there. Uh-huh. It's gorgeous downstairs. Well, it was. Oh, it was the place, wasn't it? It was all... The glass yeah, windows the where people, white can see, curtains people can see you getting naked. Doing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, um, it was good. Tried it, it several a, times. It was in a... <laughs> did a it was all in a converted office block, I think, when Something I think like about that. it. It's one of those, like the... the it um, was very box-like. Like the Sanderson and all those... Yeah. That sort of era. Um, of, it was the place to go. The bar downstairs, I forget the name. Anyway, yeah, so it was go. in the bar, through the back, around the back there. Huge place at the back. I'd been to this press night over the road, and I was slightly drunk. And I'd seen... Um, the cast and her driver before and I'd sort of sort of talked to him and I walked into this party after show party um, and she'd gone and I walked into this guy who was wearing a old school fisherman's jumper real handsome guy big guy who I thought was a member of the cast and there was this girl who was wearing a black which I'm sure was a la mode at the time this black PVC cocktail dress with like bubbles on it All right. and this huge guy and I was going hi you're in the cast of so-so. he said well yeah I'm involved then he said so what do you think to the show and then I went off on one for like five minute rant on how amazing it had been to have Madonna in the West End because at the time West End Theatre in my own personal opinion was becoming irrelevant it was becoming more to do with the audience that was there as opposed to finding new audiences. 
developing new audiences or having a kind of a uniform narrative as a whole and it was just playing to the old the old horses they were flogging dead horses um, especially the lead components in the West End three or four mm. males of a certain age that were just very talented very you know everything um, I was kind of falling out with it but what I found amazing was this this interest that she'd uh, generated in theatre in London and around the world and I just went off on one on how fantastic it was for, for her to be here thankfully because was I, it her? Uh, no who was it? no um, because if you caught me on another day I would have gone off on them the other way right. about the bad things but it was all very good and I said anyway who are you? and he said I'm her minder Oh. I said, so, who are you? I'm her PA. And I'm thinking, oh, crap. What did I say for the last two, three minutes? And it was like, it was all very good, but they were lovely. Um, but it must have it been a been. really glamorous, fantastic time to be in theatre. I mean, I've always loved theatre anyway, but it was, I think, like you said, it was, it, it, it sort of reached a point where it was sort of quite old and stuffy. Yeah. And then definitely. somehow, things like bringing Madonna over... Uh, something turned around and you probably know more about this you definitely know more about this than me about how it turned around but you were there for the crest of that wave oh great great uh, what a metaphor seg- crestal great wave metaphor I love that we are soon about to go on to the Onto sailing the, the high seas mm. yeah but um, we're stuck in the drudgery of the West End which I do miss terribly yeah well you so live fabulously. a very very different life now yeah. don't you um, how did that change come about do you want to talk about yeah. I think it's important, actually. Okay, cool. The on. difference in... What, how theatre's changed? I would like to. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be bold. Yeah, do it. And I'm going to give it... You're hired. Give, <laughs> I'm going to give the credit to... Yeah, I'm going to give the credit to one woman. Okay. Sonia Friedman. Right. Who you should have on your podcast, because okay. she's an amazing woman. Uh, I worked with her for three months on a show... And I realised that there was, there was somebody doing this. There was somebody generating new audiences, bringing interesting product into the West End, bringing revolutionary product into the West End and bringing stars into the West End because there was nobody of any... You know, this was... This was there were great actors. There were Simon Russell Beals and all these kinds of people that, that nobody really knew outside of theatre. Mm. But then Sonia especially started bringing in stars, especially from the States where um, it was new interest and there were quality actors and there were quality performers and she brought in so many new productions initially in small venues and then to bigger venues and she's now still I think the most influential person in world theatre you've told me who you think the second most influential person in theatre is (laughs) (laughs) And that's our mutual friend Kate, who is absolutely obliged to be listening. (laughs) Yes, yes. Hope you're still listening. Um, Yeah, Kate was very instrumental in in helping people like Sonia and more so other producers by actually helping them sell their shows. Mm. And Kate developed from these four people in this little office to CEO of the world's largest marketing agency for live and live events and theatre. And she was she is um, still one of the most influential women in 
in theatre as well. So there um, you are, riding the quest of that. Yeah, no, Kate, I'm so impressed with her. I always have been. She's wonderful. I call right. her out for advice often. Okay, enough about Kate. <laughs> I'm always pitching <laughs> random ideas at her, and she's like, yeah, that's good, but, you know. <laughs> um, she is now a trustee of my charity. Yes, she is, and we do need to get on to your amazing charity. But first of all, we're going to yes. talk about your, your turn from the crest of the theatrical wave to the crest of the literal wave. How did you go from there, from theatre to um, sailing the world? You know, you've you've sailed. Well, give us a give us a little idea of where you've sailed. Okay, I am no Alex Thompson or Ellen MacArthur or Tracy Edwards. I'm just a bloke who likes floating about, and I've been very lucky <laughs> to to have opportunities with amazing people who who have had faith in me I suppose um, I've not sailed everywhere I don't think I've sailed a huge mo- amount but what I've done is I've spent a lot of time in the Mediterranean I've spent a lot a lot of time in the Mediterranean absolutely love it it's such an interesting place um, I've sailed across the Pacific um, not everyone's done that by the way I've sailed <laughs> I've sailed in dinghies in lakes in the middle of England uh, I've sailed I've sailed tall ships in New Zealand I've sailed Steinlager 2 which to the yachties that are listening is 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 a iconic racing boat um, if you think if you're a motor, motor racing fan Ayrton Senna's Formula 1 car his old Williams Formula 1 car it's pretty much like that right a classic um I mean, that, that's about it, really. I've not done. But how did you get? How did you get into that? So going back to my boredom with the West End, yeah, and my falling out of love with it mm. at the time, I spent a lot of two years spe- sailing with my friends Colin and Colin. Who, <laughs> that's easy. Yeah, hi boys. Hi boys. Um, and I realised that you know what, this is what I used to do as a kid, and I've forgotten how much I loved it. So I quit and got my ticket, so my captain's certificate for boats up to a certain size, and um, went. Conscious decision number two. Mm. And I think it's really important for me as a 53-year-old man now to to be aware of those conscious decisions. Um, And I was very lucky... I had a client through the West End who had a boat. Good morning, Lawrence. Lawrence, Lawrence can and Marsha. Can I come on the boat, please? <laughs> oh, we no longer, we, he no longer owns it. Ah, Lawrence. So, Lawrence and Marsha, two of the most adorable Marcia. people in the world, um, who are very dear friends, and I've worked for them since that year that I left. So it was 2005. And um, Lawrence found out that I'd left the West End and he phoned me up and he said, are you back in London? I remember him because he was like this tiny man in a full length coat with a scarf and a cap on, a jaunty angle cap. Love it. He, I'd see him in the offices and he said, next time in London, should we go for a coffee? Okay, I said. So he, I met him in the Covent Garden Hotel and he told me about his boat called smile again oh and um we talked about 
he wanted a vagabond lifestyle in the boat doing the Mediterranean so I, I kind of went I didn't know how much a skipper got paid or knew nothing about their boat I knew that it was wasn't a new boat so if I there was any accidents or whatever or any damage it wasn't going to be a huge deal but he was a lovely person I met Marsha his wife hello Marsha hilarious hilarious had lunch with them to meet Marsha um, it was at 12 o'clock in this pub at the end of Warrington Crescent and all three of us were sitting there and Lawrence said would you like a drink it's 12 o'clock noon I went well it's a little bit earlier for me and I look at Marsha eyes of daggers <laughs> with this look going well I'm going to drink I'm not going to be there so I said oh, okay I'll have a glass of wine and that's when the brilliant relationship really started with both of them where I kind of got them immediately and they got me quite quickly and so went to Mallorca and started getting their boat ready for the summer and met them in Sardinia so nice. my first my first professional trip was from well from the tip of Menorca to Alguero in Sardinia Beautiful. which is 220 miles of just open sea the fuel tanks on the boat lasted 240 miles Handy. so I was like oh, okay <laughs> um, so I that first trip was this like real awakening of you've you've dis you've gone from the theatre you've gone from your past life and you've you're now here and my first proper journey I when I got to Alguero which is on the west coast of Sardinia got to Alguero on the fuel bay I, I was like the Pope I got on the ground and I kissed the concrete because it was like phew what an adventure you can take the boy out of the theatre <laughs> <laughs> oh it was dramatic oh it was dramatic it was a dramatic crossing yeah no I can, but, imagine. I can imagine it was a little 43 foot boat mm -hmm. and you know it was it was great fun and then we had that summer around Sardinia, Corsica, west coast of Italy, all the way down to Napoli, Capri, Ischia. Um, did we go to Sicily? I don't think we went to Sicily and smiled again. And um, no, we did. We went to Sicily. Oh, that you could have practiced your, my boss is going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, down in Sicily. I want to say it was, I can't remember the name of the place. Anyway, it's gone. But, um, Porto Vecchio in Corsica was the first time I tried it, even though it was in Corsica, but they understand Italian quite well and it worked. But um, so that summer we spent um, five, six, four, five months in this little boat and um, getting to know each other. And literally two and a half weeks into it, they said, what are you doing next year? And I went, oh my God. Because so at the time, because at the time I was thinking, right, I'm going to do a little boat this year. Practice. It was purely practice and an adventure. And I was so lucky to have some amazing people who I could do that with. Not only Lawrence and Marsha, but their two best friends, Martin and Angie, and their families as well. Adorable family. You cannot... I cannot... I didn't understand how amazing it was to have good people to travel with. Mm. And they trusted me. Especially Marsha, because she wasn't... A, a hugely seagoing person 
Um, and um, by the end of that year, we were in a place called Genoa and I was putting the boat to bed as it were. And Lawrence said, we're gonna buy a bigger boat. We're gonna, we're gonna need a bigger boat. Because every, every place that we went, I had to go and find a hotel because it was only a four berth boat. I had to go and find a local hotel. And the irony of it sometimes was my hotel was better than the boat, which was hilarious. You're like, no, no, I'll get off. Don't worry, no, I'll it's do it. I'll do fine. fine. No, I'll it's, take one for the team. It's not air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, they've got a gym. Yeah, they've got a pool. Um, and, and there was this one place uh, called Gaeta near Napoli where it was, this was a little 43 per boat with a big awning on the back. So it was like posh camping. And we were moored two out from the pontoon with people's lazy lines. And I had to get off. They had all the food they wanted, made some supper and stuff like that. And then there was this giant thunderstorm. So they were sitting out in their boat, getting dripped on by the, the leaky canopies. And I'm in this five-star hotel <laughs> round the road, eating whatever it was, going for a swim. Oh, it's like the irony of it, Robert. It's just so many... I wished I could remember them because I have, I have a terrible memory, but there's so many wonderful memories where I spent some amazing moments of travel with some really lovely people where it, it makes you who you are now, I suppose. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That winter, Lawrence, I found a really good boat builder for him. And we fell in love with this guy, Roberto, who, um, <laughs> when he was making the boat, we were saying, when is this going to be ready? When is this going to be Quando? 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 It's another useful, uh, yes. useful word. Quando? Perché? Dove? <laughs> Excuse my Italian accent. Not. Um, and I said, when is this thing going to be ready? He's, he said, Robert, did they ask Michelangelo when his boat was going to be ready? And that's when I realised, I was like, I love Italy. Because, so grand in their philosophy. And just like, yes, but you're not Michelangelo, mate. <laughs> but we did. And Lawrence, you know, Lawrence will confess that he utterly adored Roberto because he he built this amazing boat called Big Smile that um, was was 2006 and we sold it in 2018 and nothing went wrong and it, it Lawrence will be able to tell you all the memories but so many memories and that boat did so many miles I'm hoping for something to go wrong because I was about to um ask you about whether you've ever felt in peril when you're sailing so what about when you've um just fast forward a little bit um how did you get from there to crossing the pacific was that when you'd already established the charity 
No, um, Crossing the Pacific started the charity. Um, so in 2008, so two years into Big Smile, um, Big Smile, I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which was quite a traumatic event for me. Um, it's still still quite raw, um, still very important. And I spent a month and a half um, not being able to speak properly, not being able to see straight, and having these pains running through my body, up and down my body, for no reason. I could almost set my watch to them. Every quarter of an hour, it was... If it was a recreational drug, I would have enjoyed it. But it was just this weird pain thing. And that lasted for about three months. And after I got diagnosed, and I kind of went downhill quite quickly. Um, and luckily, Lawrence and Marsha sort of knew what I was going through and accepted that. They had a friend who had MS and um, they were very supportive. And I could go out to the med. I could eat well, sleep well, live well. Was it quite a, a quick diagnosis then? Yeah, I was on holiday in the in the States and I, I couldn't see straight. And I got t- taken to hospital after meeting a, a pharmacist, an eye guy, then went to the hospital, got diagnosed. There's a DVD of all your, your brain. See you later. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so I went downhill and my period of my life after that, even though I did stuff, kind of was a bit vague, kind of a bit meh. There was no conscious decisions being made. And um, in 2014, after I moved to Brighton, this guy, this Danish guy, this doctor who was a specialist in MS, he came into the marina to sort of have check it out because the size of it, etc., for his boat. And they were doing a sail around the world with people with a mess. So you were you'd at that point just to sort of fill in the gaps. You'd uh, left uh, so, London. You'd gone to Brighton, and you'd also got a job in Brighton Marina as the duty manager. One of the one manager. of the managers where you were on call seven days a week, every other week. Yeah, it was. Lovely people, really stressful job because in those days, Brighton Marina was a slightly different place than what it is now. Was that job move, um, was it relevant, connected to the MS, did you think? I, it must have been. It must have been like, um, let's just get out of London. It's too, it's too much information coming. It's so much stuff coming at you. Traffic, people, violence, blah, 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 blah. And... Um, so this guy came in he said I'm doing this around the world and I was like great um, and I went home and thought about it and then two weeks later conscious decision I said I phoned him up and said and confessed to him Mikkel his name Mikkel Antonison. hello Mikkel uh, we've got at least six listeners here you know, I know got, six uh, yeah, <laughs> doing quite well it's double my <laughs> double my plays anyway um, and um, he was he was planning this round the world sale um, and I, I phoned him up and said do you remember me blah 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 I would love to be part of this and it was called Oceans of Hope the boat is called Oceans of Hope it's a 67 foot challenger for the yachties out there which was part of the round the world race in uh, the British Steel Challenge in 1997 um, it was one of the 12 boats that entered really solid heavy steel boat that can go through anything a wonderful wonderful ship and 
I said, I'd like to join it. He said, well, we're not coming to Brighton now, but come to Portsmouth in a couple of weeks and we'll talk. Oh, so you, at that point, so when he came into the harbour... He was doing a, like a visit, a, re- just, a recce. It was just a coincidence. He came in and he said, we're doing this for to support people with MS. And you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah. I've, I've got MS. Yeah. What a massive coincidence. I, I, it, it is. Um, and it, I think it's really important because uh, my life changed for the better because I... I was still fairly active. I was still doing stuff and and I was still on the boat with Lawrence and Marsha. And I met him in Portsmouth and I, I suddenly said, I want to sail across the Pacific. I don't know where that came from, but it wasn't even a conscious decision, but it was a decision. And I'll go into a, the, I think the, the, what's the word? The bigness. What's the word? Enormity. Okay. I'll go into the enormity of that decision in a moment because it didn't strike me until I was mid-Pacific on the boat. <laughs> um, and he, anyway, so going back to Portsmouth, he said, yes, but unfortunately you're going to have to apply. I can't give you a place. I've got procedures. So I applied and on December the 20th of that year, so that was 2014, I got an email saying, congratulations, mm-hmm. you're coming to... Uh, the Galapagos Islands with us <laughs> okay so he, you told him about your MS did he have any concerns about your ability to you know to no. captain it? it I wasn't captain right. I was a member of the crew um, but the thing that they wanted for the Pacific was people who were floaty people we you, you, 1500 miles away from anywhere you don't want somebody who's going to be seasick all the time yeah um, so I I applied I got the email back then I phoned up five people looking for a reason not to do it. And during that process, Lawrence was one of them. Thank you again, Lawrence. And they all said, why are you asking? You need to do this. And I didn't really know how much I needed until two months later when I got on the boat and I realized that I was, I'd made a decision. I'd committed to something. And I started to realise that the previous five or six years, I'd never really committed to life. I never really committed to being who I am because I was frightened of what the MS was going to do to me. And I, I really didn't know that until I got onto a boat that, that, was, that was full of people that were worse off than me. And I realised that there is possibilities. Stop it. Stop living in this gloom depression or whatever you want to say but as a as a skipper on other boats I wanted to do practical things I wanted to catch a fish kill a fish cook a fish climb up the mast 1500 miles from any land not 220 miles that I did on my first journey and I wanted to learn how to use a sextant which was my next level of qualification which is called ocean master none of that happened and I started to write a blog and my first one was an apology to myself and to my family and my to loved ones and everybody who knew me because I wasn't there I just wasn't there you hadn't been there in the in the years before since your diagnosis I hadn't been live I had not been engaged with life and I realized that 
admitting that allowed me to try and be it again uh, and I kind of remember that first day and there was a, a guy called Bertram who whose computer I was using same computer as that and he saw me just crying while I was typing apologizing to myself for being shit and it's like so amazing when you look back at it because not many people can do that not many people know that they're going through that they're just there down in the hole that I was not knowing that there's a there is a way of getting out of it and there is life after the hole um and um and I realized quite quickly on that trip that I know my place on a boat I know that I have a sense of humor and I, I can listen to people and I can gauge where people are and I can gauge that I'm what they need and they're what I need and together we will see another sunrise inshallah and um, gosh uh, and so I spent four weeks on that boat becoming me again the old Robert which I didn't realise how much I'd missed and how much I've, I say this word how much I'd wasted time but by saying that word wasted means I'm judging that now when I'm not at the time I didn't know I was wasting it I didn't know that this person was not there wholly and, but when I did, when I started to learn that that, that 20%, that brilliant 20% that, that we've talked about earlier, yeah, he does have permission to be here. He, You know, you can't be afraid of not living your life through this stupid disease because it might get you next year or next week or tomorrow. And you cannot plan for that. So why worry about it why are you stopping yourself and there was, a, there was a period of time on the boat where I was like fuck and one very good confidant Bertram on the boat Bertram and Fred why why have I been like this and there was this whole period of a couple of days because it's 24 hours on a boat going through the Pacific it's quite a long time um, and there's a lot of time for reflection, a lot of time for listening and and cooking. And you 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 do stuff, you theorize stuff, stuff, or you just vent stuff, and you realize that you're not on your own, and you're not awful, you're not a waste of space, you are worthy, and you have the right to get on with it. So get on with it. So I. That, that five or six weeks where we went to some amazing places that are really close to the front of my head, my brain, um, I was given a new perspective on life of what it is living with this chronic condition that physically you don't see much. Cognitively, yes, balance, terrible balance. Fatigue, I have terrible fatigue. 
uh, I have numb feet all the time um, but I'm lucky I'm a lucky one um, but this new perspective on my disease I, I put as um, I was given this giant cake of chocolate you're welcome now go and do it go and live properly and so that gift I was given uh, that summer when I came back to England I then went back to Skipper or Lawrence and Marshall on Big Smile and I realised that summer I need to make more of this cake <laughs> and share it out and so that started the, the, the next part of my journey which is Oceans of Hope UK with Mickle's Blessing we used, we used the name and very close relationship still with the original Oceans of Hope organisation which is in Denmark and so I literally went right how am I going to do this and it was like the me back in yeah. 1999 how are we going to do it fuck it let's just do it I'm just going to book some boats I got my credit card out book some boats bums on seats so that's the great thing about the West End is the fact that bums on seats is not a problem for me mm. so book the boats how am I going to feel the bums on seats let's just do it and if you went through that physical of course journey but emotional journey doing it you said that there's people that um, that you support through the charity to do so that's what the charity is about taking people with MS sailing they also must be going through a similar journey a similar emotional awakening I'm guessing yes people go through a very similar journey because fear is the killer the fear of not knowing what you're going to be like tomorrow stops you doing anything. It makes you unworthy of just going for coffee with somebody or cooking for your family or taking your kids to school or being worthy of love. And that's the fear is always there. And everybody knows that this disease will progress somewhere. Thankfully, this last 10 years, the 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 treatment that you can get is 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 rapidly improving the stability of the the condition and i'm no doctor and please refer to medical practitioners for advice <laughs> i know i'm getting all my medical advice from you. <laughs> <laughs> like you're giving me your mortgage advice yes. um, financial um, advice from me medical advice from you yes here seizures. we are <laughs> it's like the, the one show uh, um well what was i saying I don't know. Um, I it as well. so the fear the fear has always been the killer for, for, for me and I think that is reflected in other people with MS the ability to plan for something am I am I good enough to do it am I going to be able to do this physically um, am I supported too much by my family and I'm going to be on my own there's the fear of all these things that stops people doing stuff we have the ones that go to the next level that go fuck it I'm going to do it because for every one brave person that comes sailing with us, there's 50 people behind them going, do you know what? I'll try it or I'll go shopping today yeah. or I'll get out of bed now. And that's a really powerful thing that, that I know is happening, not only with the people that are coming sailing with us themselves, but the people that are watching and following or just having a hint of what's going on because doing stuff is always a possibility 
and it needs to be grabbed. Before Oceans of Hope, I was just like doing stuff. Sorry, that's not very good for a podcast. <laughs> Before Oceans of Hope, I was Surviving just existing. Living, yeah. I was existing, just, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll come. Uh, might feel a bit bad then. I might blow out, blow out on you tomorrow. I'm not worthy of love. And, oh, I can't be bothered. And before I knew it, it was like, okay, what are the possibilities? What can I do? I should do that. And this process of conscious decisions, conscious decisions yeah. was coming back to me because I was away from under the blanket of this stupid disease when I was really intrigued as to what the possibilities were. And every single day after that, every single place that I travelled on the boat or myself it was it was new it was fresh it was live again and to to for me to just walk out in the street and know that there are possibilities now is is phenomenal whether it's in a tiny little island in the middle of nowhere in Turkey called Tazani or it could be Hove Town Hall Street whatever it's called Western Road there's the possibilities now. Mm. Um, and I think everybody that comes sailing with us hopefully will take a piece of that home that will enable them to embrace something that they thought was not possible. From a travel point of view, where did you start from and go to on that physical uh, trip across the Pacific? Oh, my God. That year, I did 12 countries. Excellent. Uh, I was thinking about writing a book, twelve countries in one year, but then I thought, no, everybody's done that. So, so my, so my trip across the Pacific started in the Galapagos Islands, amazing, and we sailed four, four thousand two hundred miles to Tahiti. From the Galapagos, via the Marquesas Islands, and then the Tomutu. Oh yeah, I know those really well. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Just left. Always the, going there. Just left. Just near Fiji, actually. <laughs> really, oh dear. No, no. Sorry, Dad. No, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. No, um, Galapagos, Marquesas, Tomutu Islands, um, Papete, Tahiti, and so Galapagos Islands, just off of Ecuador, just above the equator. Yeah. That's what Ecuador means in Spanish. <laughs> Does it? You know that, right? Come on. <laughs> no, I don't. Does it? Look at it. <laughs> the Ecuador, Ecuador. Is, is equator. Yeah. Wow. It's on the equator. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this learning. You learn something new. Every... Well, learn, I didn't know learn, that learn. the Mar- Marquesas. The Marquesas Islands are honestly, okay, I, I'm, I'm speechless. Right, okay, start again. The Marquesas Islands, it is astounding. We arrived in the main island. We spent a day and a half seeing them in the distance. And we were talking about what we were going to eat. Because we've got beans and rice and chicken and blah, blah, blah for 14 days. And it was like, what are we going to eat? And we saw this island it's slowly getting closer. And we arrived there at night. It's about midnight. We went into this main kind of... It wasn't a harbour. It was a natural harbour, huge natural harbour. And you could see the outline of the mountains and the moon. So I slept on board in a hammock. And I woke up bleary-eyed and it was like 
Jurassic Park. These mountains that were there, covered in trees. That was that was obviously a film set for one of those films. Just astounding. And there was skate floating around the boat and little uh, reef sharks as well. Oh my god! I so want to go back there because it was just heaven, where the people were amazing. We would, because we were anchored in the bay, so we'd get the dinghy to the little beach. And there was a school, and they were teaching the kids how to dance the the Polynesian dancing. It was just amazing. Idyllic. And we had, and the, the dreams of eating, um, eating some food. There was one hotel on this place, which was like a real boutique hotel with huts and one pool, and they served club sandwiches. And I was sitting, sitting in the pool. Having a club sandwich with Fred, Aegon, Sandy and Bernd. Um, Just going, this is heaven. This is absolutely heaven. And actually, the thing is, um, serious note about the the MS and the walking. Bernd, who was the worst off of us, he couldn't walk in a straight line uh, on land. And um, this is a serious point. I'm making a serious point. My gosh. And two weeks that we were sailing, you're like this your movement is very much and your core gets worked quite a lot because you're constantly resisting and working with the angle of the boat and two weeks at sea sailing 24 hours a day we got off onto the land and we were all walking down the street like wobbly because we weren't we didn't we had our sea legs but we didn't have our land legs and ironically burned the one that couldn't walk in a straight line he was walking in a dead straight line seriously um whether his internal gyroscope was screwed, but he he was stronger physically as a result of 14 days of, of being at sea, constantly having to support yourself and move with the boat. So just for the listeners, That's I'm moving my core yes. and isolating my stomach muscles and rocking like a chimp. <laughs> and burned. Something to see, right? He, he walked, yes. Um, he walked straight, in a straight line down the street, that's and amazing. It was Has he ama- continued to walk better, do you know? He's been sailing with me um, since, and that was like a few years after. So he's four or five years older. So his MS has um, it's kind of progressed a bit. And he's, and he's quite old. Um, no offence. <laughs> but the importance of, of that is, is that it, it physically pushes you without you really knowing. And before you know it, you, you've got this fluidity to your movement and this ability to brace yourself on the boat where a lot of people have balance issues so a lot of people subconsciously are are putting their hands on bits of the boat or handles where they can actually support themselves better and they can move around the boat using their imbalance and working with it and and everybody on the boat who comes sailing with us we're all in we're all in the same boat in inverted (laughs) commas because we all have it to some degree you don't have to apologize if you're tired we know if you're feeling we know and so with Bernd he was amazing because he just I remember it he just walked down the street perfectly straight and we were all wobbly and he he's a great example of somebody who'd spent a long time living with the disease seeing him in the middle of the Pacific under the Milky Way talking about himself was a privilege because 
maybe he never had that conversation with anybody before because they might not have understood it. With us, he just he just told us, and it was I, there was always moments on a boat where you can connect and you can tell the truth and you can live live. And a boat is a great leveler of personalities, class, age, um, language. And you can share so much so easily. And you've, the great thing is you've got loads of time to do it. So uh, I, I kind of privileged to see that guy explain about his life and where he was on his journey. Maybe like I've told you on mine. Um, so that was in the Marquesas Islands. Where I just I hope the charity, I want to see it going from strength to strength because it just sounds... It sounds life-changing for many people, including you. It's been life-changing. What What is next for Oceans of Hope? So, uh, just for the record, it is, it is May 2023. Your eyes lit up when I said that. Yeah, so got, tomorrow yeah we are now officially excited because tomorrow I fly out to Athens where we have, we have uh, a big flotilla of people. Um, so we have, a flotilla is a group of boats that sail around together. Even I knew that. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Ecuador. 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 The Armada. That's what I think of flotillas. Yes. I mean, I don't think you're going to be setting anything alight, you know, metaphorically, oh, maybe. Wow. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so on Saturday, we have nine boats out of Athens where we have 60 people with MS sailing for a week. And then we all come back to Athens and then we do another week of 60 new people. And that's going to be our first big flotilla since lockdown. Um, where we used to have so going back to the start we had a flotilla and then we did another flotilla and another flotilla each year and we did other interesting things as well however we couldn't do the flotilla because of lockdown so this is our first big foray back into the flotilla where we get a chance to meet people from 15 countries all on their own journey all wanting the opportunity to be great again all knowing that they're scared, all knowing that they don't know, quite know what the possibilities are. All of them are open to that possibility. And they're the brave ones. And the, the people that come sailing with us are just nothing but brilliant because they're the ones that have took that conscious decision to commit to life again. And so we've got 60 people week one, 60 people week two, um very excited we've done all the organizing we've done all the paperwork we've done all the boring stuff we've, we've got everybody in place and now it's my job to worry about if something goes wrong but to sort of in to, to sum up what I want from the charity we've got a very busy year apart from that but my job is to make sure People come, the people that come sailing with us have the opportunity to decide whether or not they're going to be magnificent today. If they can see the possibility, they're more likely to try. They're more likely to go home achieving something. And if that transfers home in whatever way, however small, magnificent or mundane that transformation is, that cake is taken home and through sailing hopefully their lives have changed a bit their lives have improved a bit 
whether it's five minutes or five years, but they've gotten the taste of the other side of the hole that I talked about earlier for continuity. Um, and that's all we can do. I can't cure anybody, but it enables people to have the courage and the strength to go, actually, I could be a better patient. I could be more, um, what's the word? Proactive? I don't know. I, I don't be, want to say that yeah. because not everyone can be, but... Yeah, totally. Yeah. I could be more proactive with my neurologist and actually not accept. Come and see me in six months. Mm. Yeah, everything's the same. Come and see me in six months. Try the new treatment or just accept that there are possibilities out there, which, which as we all know, just changes your angle on life and there is no cure for ms but there is hope and getting out of that trough of depression is is well worth it but it's also very healthy to look back and go i got out of that and i think that's really important for everybody who comes sailing with us you have the right to decide whether or not you can be magnificent today and um, Oceans I Hope UK are growing we've got an amazing te- team of trustees amazing team of volunteers and we're planning 2024 where I hope that we will be able to achieve even more but we need help how can we help you how can we support you we need partners who can donate time, money, their name for the narrative. And, and basically we need a an official partner, an official sponsor or two where I can do this properly because this is all part-time. This is all at 12 o'clock at night in, in my bed thinking about this or doing these spreadsheets. We can't do it properly because I can't afford to commit myself completely to it and my volunteers are fantastic but we need we need help to make to take this from I think I mentioned this the other week to take this from a fabulous little corner shop of charity that I'm very very proud of we need to take it to the next level which is from a narrative point of view somebody that does stuff around the world somebody that does stuff in a in a in a wonderful way in a supportive friendly and safe way we just need to do it properly now okay well i'm going to try my best to uh, to see if we can drum up some support and some help and i'm hoping that everyone listening might do that even if it's just sort of chucking a few quid at you if we can we have some we have some amazing supporters who have supported us over the last few years who have enabled us to just to tick along where we've done a few events we've done we did 400 people last year we took 400 people sailing last year on zero budget what I want is 100 grand where we can take 400 people if not more in such a special way because the the event itself it needs to be worked on it needs to be developed so we need continuity of care when it comes to skippers and the continuity of boats that we know the boat we've got and stuff like that it's, it's taking it to the next stage so it's not a lot of money is it 100 grand it's not a lot of money for someone to some 
huge <clears throat> company. You and me, it might be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you my last question now. <clears throat> I know you've been listening. You've been listening to a few of my episodes, haven't you, in the run-up to this. So you must know, you might know, that my last question is always about music. And if I was going to ask you, which I am literally going to ask you now, uh, to name one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel, what is that song and what is the memory? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. I forgot about this question. Um, There's quite a few. Um, I'm going to say, um, but there is a story to it. I need the story. Um, Okay, I'll tell you the story. I was sitting in Fakarava, tiny little island in the Tomutu Islands, wondering. So I was three quarters of the way across the Pacific, thinking, Mark, I've quit work. What the hell am I going to do when I get home? I'm shitting myself now because I have no idea what I'm going to do. And there was it was a little scuba diving school with two huts that had people that were going to come scuba dive and stay there the night before. And that morning, it, I was desperate because I had a beer and it was, wasn't even noon. And all of a sudden, from one of the little balconies, if you can call them balconies, doom, do 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 doom, do 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 doom started. And it was like, I know what it is. It's Bob Murley. <laughs> and then he said, don't worry about a thing Aww. because everything little thing's going to be all right. So it was like, there you go. I think that I'm, I'm going to go with that. It's the cheesiest one, but that was the most important one because I was, I, I had such a long journey to get there from 2008 to, I'd say it was uh, late March, 2015. I'd gone through so much of a philosophical journey and the decision to quit, not knowing what I was going to do when I come back, and that five, four weeks journey, kind of, that kind of coincidence again, that coincidence thing, was, it was shocking. And I, I have to go with that song there. And yeah, thank you for reminding me of it. That's the beauty of travel and music and how they, you know, the cement those memories as well, I think. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. That was just wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for having me and I feel really privileged. Thank you. You look like you're going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. We often cry on the Big Travel Podcast, by the way. <laughs> do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I make loads of people cry. <laughs> Hi, it's Lisa and Rob here. We've just realised that that was the the wrong tune. <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry, Bob. Um, I was actually I did the intro to Redemption song you did, yeah, yeah. instead of um, Don't worry about a thing. So it's three little birds. Three, li- three, three little, little birds, birds on my doorstep. So I'm so sorry. I have multiple sclerosis. I forget things, and I live in an imaginary world. It sounds like a great so place to be. <laughs> instead, of, instead of Redemption song, it was. Um, Three little birds. But the feeling was the same. You were in the island in the middle of the Pacific. It was, yeah, But don't worry about a thing because everything is going to be all right. It is indeed. There you go. Thank you so much, Rob. What a joy to have met you and hopefully have you in my life now. You can find out more how to support Oceans of Hope by visiting their website, oceansofhope.co.uk. And we'll be back here with more fantastic guests very soon.